Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. I'm sure many of you have heard of the astronomer Carl Sagan, who once said, extinction is the rule, survival is the exception. Bertrand Russell would agree with him, but was more negative than Carl Sagan. Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, said, build your life upon the foundation of an unshakable despair, because everything turns to nothing. There's a lot of evidence to back up that kind of despair. I was uh, reading from National Geographic the other day, and it can often be a vortex of despair. And, And this is what it said. The final chapter in the history of the universe is expected to be rather bleak. Physicists believe that billions of years from now, after all the stars have burned out, the universe will be a cold, dark expanse where nothing of interest ever happens, or even could happen. As space itself expands, and matter is stretched thin, less and less energy is available. Over the eons, the universe simply runs down into death. Happy Easter, everyone. (laughs) Extinction. But not just extinction on the macro level. Let's say something about extinction on the micro level, which we in our own country and in our own world have experienced. You know, by some counts, there have been half a million people who have died with this virus. And jobs, 22 million of them have vanished. And so many of our loved ones are out of work. I know two people that have taken their lives during this terrible season due to isolation and despair. And now those lives are extinct. And also, we can even get more internal, more micro. Let's talk about the hopes that have expired, the hopes that have become extinct. You know, some of you have desired to give birth to a child, but as the years roll on and a partner is not in view, that the body changes, alters, and is no longer able to produce a child For other people, it's being turned down for the perfect job, a job that was suited for you, that you had prayed about, that you were encouraged to go for, and they chose somebody who was clearly not as good as you. Uh, Or maybe it's a promising relationship. You know, finally you found your person, and you waited a long time, and it seemed like things were going in the right direction, but when all is said and done, it just didn't work out. And no amount of wishing can change that. Well, Carl Sagan did warn us, extinction is the rule. And I think that sad and sorrowful fact can make anyone hopeless, cynical, jaded, despondent, and despairing. And so on this Easter morning, I ask the question, is extinction truly the end? Is it the gobbling God that eats us all? and leaves nothing left. Is there any hope for those doomed to die? Well, 
Paul lights up our world this morning. Paul lights up our world with a countercultural, counterintuitive, profoundly wise, uh, bottomlessly insightful treatise on our future hope. The context of Paul's letter is that he's simply writing to a, a bunch of sophisticated metropolitan types, Greeks who lived in Corinth, and they were Paul's pen pals. And, and these pen pals were particularly skeptical about the afterlife, not just the afterlife, the Jewish version of the afterlife. They were deeply unsettled by the whole notion of a physicalized resurrection of the dead. They found the idea completely revolting. And Paul is attempting right here in 1 Corinthians 15 to clarify his teaching regarding the resurrection by contrasting two different types of bodies, two different types, types of physical forms. The first physical form is that of Adam, or more specifically, the first Adam. The second physical form is that of the last Adam. This is a long and detailed passage. I can't get to all the topics, but I'm just going to focus us on those two atoms and what they represent and how their own experience will reflect upon ours. I'm going to be referencing mostly verses 42 to 55, but let me speak about the first Adam, first man referenced in Holy Scripture, the archetypal father figure, the king of the human race, the representative of all people. In Holy Scripture, Adam does have this archetypal role. Even the name Adam itself means mankind, so he is this representival figure. And so Paul very often deduces what was true of Adam is also true of you and true of everybody else who's ever lived. He's that kind of a powerful representative. And Paul's point by talking about this first Adam in our passage is that each of us begins this life with an Adam body. You have an Adam body. Uh, you have an Adam body that is the temple, a sacred temple of DNA and a certain blood type and rattling bones and sinews and skin tones and, and your own limitations and your own excellencies. It's all part of your Adam temple. And I want to hear again the descriptors that St. Paul uses to express our current Adam experience. This is his language. This is verse 44. He says we have a natural body. Verse 45, that we are living beings. Verse 47, that we are from the earth. Verse 48, a man of dust. And verses 50 to 53, he says that we have a perishable body three times. What is he trying to say here by this language of being natural, from the earth, from the dust, and perishable? He is trying to express using deeply sophisticated and theological language, that the first Adam was formed of the stuff of this realm, but not the next. He came from the primordial ingredients, the material, the base material of creation. And so, he concludes, that Adamic body, that physicalized temple, will experience the life cycles of creation, including carbon and how carbon decays and the inevitable withering that occurs to people who are born within this age. What it means to be an Adam is that you have a body that is fearfully and wonderfully made, but over time, that wonderful quality gives way 
gives way to the power of perishability. Now, I want you to note that Paul is not being negative, not being negative at all about the first Adam or even the entirety of his legacy. Paul is not anti-human. He is not nihilistic. He believes that life is good and that life is a wonder and that you are beautiful in many, many ways, even more beautiful than you think you are. And this is why in the first part of our passage, that is verses 35 to 41, he talks about the glory of various sorts of bodies. And in that section of text, he's clearly referencing not only nature, the sun, the stars, the moon, and even the fish. He means you right now. That there's something of glory that is contained in your Adam-like temple. And yet, Paul also knows that our current glory is fading, and it's fading for a variety of reasons, but principally, according to his understanding, it's fading because it's been infected with a sickness unto death that we call sin. Sin has not negated our entire humanity, but it has infected our entire humanity and caused it to become deformed and oriented toward death. So our current Adamic bodies are so deeply infected, thinks St. Paul, that they can only die, that they have to die. There's really no recovery for our physical form as it is without an externalized intervention. It's like when a person goes to the hospital and hears that they've been diagnosed with an inoperable metastatic cancer. Other than a miracle, there's no way to fix it. This is why Paul writes to us these alarming words, universalizing words, that flesh and blood, at least as they are currently constituted, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God represents the undying lands in which there is no diminishment, in which there is only immortality, and you cannot pour old wine into those new wineskins. They just don't mesh. And so he is saying that as we are currently constituted, we are not prepared with these old Adam temples to inherit the kingdom. And therefore, we need a metamorphosis, not just sort of an existential metamorphosis on the inside. We need new bodies. And some of you are in your prime, and you don't get this now because you can still, you know, bench press 250 pounds. I mean, some of us can. (laughs) I can't. I wish. Um, You're in your prime and you have muscles in your earlobes and you're doing very well. But many of us are not like that anymore and we're out of breath if we walk up three flights of stairs and we eat bacon all the time and wonder why we have high cholesterol. I mean, we have problems and we realize that as our bodies are breaking down, right, as our eyes don't see the way that they used to, as our teeth give way, as the valves in our hearts stop working the way they ought to, as we discover tumors in our bodies, that there needs to be some sort of physicalized redemption for us. We can't carry on this way because we are perishing, because we have this atom body. And we need a metamorphosis. You see, I actually think this is the principal reason why the Corinthians first objected to Paul's message of the resurrection, because they misunderstood it. I think this is what they understood resurrection to mean. They viewed bodily resurrection with terror because they thought it meant an endless prolonging of life as it is now. That we would just experience what we're currently experiencing, world without end. All of the toil, all of the ailments, all of the moral decay, just without dying. 
a world in which hypercriticism, envy, lust, opiate addiction, everything, just lasts forever. And they would define that as hell. And they're not too far from the truth. But Paul is here correcting them. He's saying, your Adam 1.0 experience will be replaced. You will experience a metamorphosis that will free you from the negativities associated with current physicality. You will be liberated from your perishable bodies. And he says that this new Adam will come to you, a new Adam who himself will experience new physicality and who will liberally share that experience with you. And so that's something about the first Adam. And now something about the last Adam. Notice the text does not say the second Adam. It says the last Adam, because how many prototypes are there going to be, right? Do we need a third Adam if the second one doesn't shake out too well? No, he's saying this is the final and definitive Adam that cures everything that the first Adam gave us. And Paul frequently does something bizarre. He frequently associates Christ with Adam. In fact, in many cases, he renames Christ as Adam, calls him Adam, or the second, or the last Adam, rather. And I think that's odd, because if you read the Bible, you might notice that Adam and Jesus are different. They have slightly different track records when it comes to listening and obedience. And yet Paul likens them constantly. Why does he do this? Well, here are seven reasons, though there are more, and I will be very brief. Do not be much afraid. Uh, Both Adam and Jesus are directly begotten from God. Adam from the womb of the ground, Jesus was eternally begotten. Second, both Adam and Jesus are called the Son of God in Holy Scripture. Third, both Adam and Jesus were born without sin. Fourth, both Adam and Jesus were given dominion over the earth. Fifth, both Adam and Jesus were directly tempted by Satan. Sixth, both Adam and Jesus meet their demise at a tree. Seventh, both Adam and Jesus are representable characters. Adam represents the human race, and Jesus represents the new humanity. But here, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is contrasting the first Adam with the last. And I invite you to follow along as I just read a big portion of the text from verse 42 onward. And notice the contrast between these two atoms. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also those who are of the dust. As is of the man of heaven, so are also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of heaven. A lot you could say about that, but I just want you to listen to the descriptors of the second or last Adam. Here are the descriptors. Imperishable, glory, power, spiritual body, life-giving spirit from heaven. And so there's a contrast between that which is sourced in the created earthen realm and that that which descends from on high, that which is transcendent and beyond common experience, that which was not made from the stuff of the earth. 
Now, I think there is a common mistake, a very common error that people make when hearing this passage, especially when they hear words like spiritual body and Jesus being a life-giving spirit. Because we, as people who are influenced by Greek thought in the West, we often have associations with the words natural and spiritual. We assume natural means physical and spiritual means non-physical. And therefore, some errantly conclude that Paul believed that Jesus' own resurrection was spiritual and existential, not physical. And therefore, our future resurrection is existential, but not physical. And given the medieval passion plays and current Hollywood films, it is very easy to think of heaven as a, uh, that is the spiritual realm, as sort of a sanitized, G-rated version of the film Poltergeist, right? We become ghostly, cloud-roaming, translucent blobs somewhere. Or to quote those horrible funeral cards, we are like the breeze that, that like bats against you in a closed room. You, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, that's it. And that's it. You're a breeze sometimes in a room. Well, not like according to the Bible. Like the Bible has a different understanding. Um, when Paul writes that Jesus is a life-giving spirit or a man from heaven, he's talking about Jesus' place of origin. He is not talking about a non-physical Jesus. He's not thinking of Jesus' resurrection body as a poltergeist. After all, remember Paul's words from earlier in 1 Corinthians 15? So this isn't in our reading today, but it precedes it just by a few verses. This is what Paul writes about the gospel. This is the one place he defines the Christian gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to many. In other words, Paul believed that Jesus was physical enough to be crucified, physical enough to be buried, and physical enough in his resurrection to be seen by witnesses. And the Greek for seen is opthe, optometrist, seen by your eyes. And Paul then lists a variety of witnesses that saw Jesus and says, now some of them are dead, but many of them are still alive. And more than that, he concludes in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ hasn't been physically raised from the dead, our faith is in vain and we're still in our sins. He thinks everything hinges upon not only the veracity of resurrection, but the physicality of resurrection. Everything hinges upon this real space and time miracle. Uh, You see, Christianity, of course, has Jewish roots. And for Jews, spiritual does not mean non-physical. I shall repeat it. Spiritual does not mean non-physical. Spiritual means unfallen. And that's different. It means unfallen or incorruptible. Spirituality within Judaism is huggable. You can hug a spiritual thing or a spiritual being or a risen spiritual Messiah. And yet, I don't want to deny the fact that Jesus' resurrection body is different in some ways than our bodies. The same and yet different. After all, the resurrection body of Jesus did all sorts of physical things. It caught, cooked, and consumed fish. He invited disciples like Thomas to touch him. Mary Magdalene grabbed onto him before he told her not to. Uh, and then, and he could even use his vocal cords to speak to Peter and others about their future. And yet, this same risen body could do strange things. Could walk alongside his disciples on the Emmaus Road without being recognized by them. And it could stroll through brick walls into locked rooms and then appear to his disciples. That's a spiritual body. 
Not that it is unphysical, but that it's a new kind of physicality, unencumbered and unhindered by the common limitations of our earthly realm. So whatever we can say about Jesus' new physical body, Paul employs the words imperishable and immortal when he's talking about its heavenly sourcing. And what's fantastic about Paul's conclusion is that the last Adam, the last Adam has mirthfully decided to share the spoils of resurrection with all of us. That resurrection is not just something contained in a risen Jesus, but is liberally granted to those who by nature cannot have it and don't deserve it. But God doesn't work in those categories. He just gives it to people regardless of what they think they deserve or what they actually deserve. Uh, And so just as Jesus donned a spiritual body, so shall you, unspoiled and thriving forever. And this, my dear family, is our unmurderable hope. We are destined for a tangible alteration, an everlasting metamorphosis. This is why Paul concludes in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now I've got a story for you and then I'm done. My first funeral was painful and extremely memorable. I can't shake the imagery was my grandfather, my dad's dad. He was a very strong man, athletic. He was an extremely loving person. Many of you who know me well understand I have kind of a sweet tooth in that I eat candy all day long. And I blame him uh, because every time we went to his house, he would take us to the local newsstand and we were able to purchase whatever we wanted. And uh, and I think I have several cavities and dental issues because of that man, but, but he meant it in love. And uh, we would go to the park. We would play baseball. He's the one who taught me how to play baseball. But earlier in his life, for about 25 years, he worked in an asbestos brick factory. And as many of you know, that's quite deadly work, though they didn't know it at the time. And he ended up being diagnosed with a very brutal lung cancer that killed him very swiftly. And I remember uh, looking up into his coffin as a very small child and seeing his lips awkwardly sewn shut and that chalky makeup caked onto his face and that awful gray suit that didn't fit him anymore because he had lost 120 pounds. But I remember this Lutheran minister who was officiating at the service And he had a tremor, I remember. And he saw that I was very distressed. And he pulled me to the side and gave me a little hope. In fact, he gave me the hope of the last Adam. And he said, I know why you're so scared to look at him right now. But I want you to know you will see him again. And when you do, he'll look like the man who used to take you to the park and play baseball. Well, we are all children of the first Adam. All of us bear in our bodies the perishability of this world and of our nature, but we have been redeemed by and captured by and adopted by and loved by the last Adam, 
and he has graciously guaranteed us a new future with a new body, an imperishable, immortal, victorious body with no ALS, no opiate withdrawal, no aneurysm, no macular degeneration, no panic attacks, no suicide attempts, no painkillers, no car accidents, no miscarriages. Just a new, undying, invincible, everlasting you. He can remake you. He has the technology. Or from verse 43, we are sown in dishonor and raised in glory, sown in weakness, but raised in power. Carl Sagan was no dummy, and he is right. Extinction is the rule. Survival is the exception. But sometimes, sometimes, certain exceptions are so exceptional that they become the new rule. And because of our very risen Christ, the last Adam, the new rule of the universe is resurrection. Amen. Free at last, they took your life, they could